Uh, we've been working through the book of Exodus. So we do, we just take a book and start working through it. So that's what we've been doing. And um, uh, one of the things that every week, every week I come to the text and I'm excited. I want to get to the epic parts of Exodus. You know what I'm talking about, right? The parting of the Red Sea, right? The miracles, the crazy. And um, as we're getting into that, there are a bunch of verses that don't seem very exciting at all. You know what I mean? So I'll read through them the first time, and I'm like, I have is, no idea. Is this your opening? Yeah, this yeah. is my opening. <laughs> I have no idea what to say to uh, that my group yeah. of Groves people to, like, leave them encouraged, you right. know? Set the like, you look at the low. text. I'm setting the bar real low. I see. So <laughs> anyway, we're just going to dive right in. Is that good? All right. That was introduction number one. Okay, here we go. Did you know that for every human, there are 1.6 million ants? <gasps> Yeah, and they all live in Portland, I swear to God. I never had this ant problem until I moved here. It's true. It's and now true. we've just given up. We used to fight it every year. No, now I just... Now we're just like, we live with these. We live, we cohabitate with yeah. the ants. They yeah. have co-opted our space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're different. They are That's different. It's true. It's true. I had family in Arkansas, and I have stepped on... You have family on. in Arkansas? Yeah, mom's, oh. mom's twin sister. Oh, okay. <laughs> Aunt Fett. Aunt Bet, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Anyway. Anyway, I've stepped on a the fire, fire ant, ant yeah. anthill as yeah. a child. I just think and it's crazy, 1.6 million ants per human being, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. We should start that. Protein source. So, I'm pretty sure we eat some here, oh. too, because they make their way How many spiders? There are a certain of amount of spiders that we eat every week, too. I don't really know. I don't know. But did you know this? The total weight, <laughs> the total weight for all those ants is about one human, like it's equivalent. Anyway, for did the you 1. know? For the 1.6 million, or for all ants everywhere? No, for the 1.6 million ants are Equals about the like equal one, one human. human. Yeah, so the weight is wow. about the same. I think that's you know God's creativity. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just making up. Okay. <laughs> did you know that it rains diamonds on Saturn and Jupiter? What? Did you know this? No. No. Okay, so here's what I did last night. I was Googling, like, 25 things, crazy things that you didn't know were true, right? So I read this. It rains diamonds on Saturn and Jupiter, and what do I do? I Google, right, to be like, is it true that... Okay, so it turns out there's a lot of carbon on Saturn and Jupiter, and as the whatever fall, it hard... And there are diamonds. 1,000 tons of diamonds are created every year on Saturn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super, yeah, the yeah. pressure, just saying that there's a wealth of... Yeah, but I mean, if there's that We many, just have not, to get to Saturn. It's not that special. 1,000 tons. Mm -hmm. Right, they lose their value. Right. That's probably why we're leaving them there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway. You would oversaturate the market. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Did you know that cotton candy was invented by a dentist? <laughs> the irony there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Business, yeah, yeah, I know, right? A right? Man. Yeah. He's like, it does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Did you know that bees can live inside your eyes? No. Yeah. So here's the story. A woman, a woman, <laughs> was dusting out this old building, and she thought some dust got into her eye, but no, it wasn't dust. She's like something. Her eye started swelling, so she goes to the doctor. And the doctor looks in, and there's a little leg. And he pulls at the little leg, and it's a bee. And that's not only one bee. Four bees were in her eye. And she yeah. didn't notice. 
Well, she noticed because her eye was swelling. Yeah, but you'd think you'd notice them, like, entering. Yeah. Right? I don't know. Ah, uh, okay. Dad joke right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have two more. Okay. Did you know that at one point in the 1870s, Belgium employed cats to deliver mail? What? Yeah. Um, it took, I think the fastest cat was four hours that it took to deliver mail. They trained 37 cats. Yeah, to deliver mail. There's a reason why it doesn't why? exist today, right? Like, it wasn't a very long experiment. Like, they were like, yeah, this isn't going to work. Okay, did you know, you may have already known this, but did you know that figs have dead wasps in them? All so, figs? All figs, because wasps are what um, pollinate the, so they go into the fig, and then they die in the, they, like, do whatever they do, and then they die in the fig, and then we eat figs, and so it's dead mm. wasps. So I was going to pick up figs today at the store, and I was reminded of this fun fact. And I was like, no, I can't do it. I just can't <laughs> do it now. So anyway, my question to you this morning is, what do you need in order to believe something is true? What do you need to know in order for something to so be true? Have you been lying to us this whole time? No, these things are all... I was this gonna, is the twist? No, no, no. Yeah, no, no. No, they are, they are all true. Okay. But I'm just saying, what do you need to, what do you need to see or what do you need to hear? Or what experience do you need to have to believe that something is true? Right? I was thinking about this, and, and when you think about how you believe, like what, it has a lot to do with trust, right? I believe from people who are generally trustworthy. Like if you've told me something before and it's been true, I tend to believe you again, right? Right? Same page? Um, but we exist in a culture and a context of cynicism. We are in Portland, it's like the a little mecca of cynics and skeptics, right? Um, and so if I, like, I'm looking up, for example, when I saw that there were diamonds on Saturn and Jupiter, I was like, no, that can't possibly be true. So I went to... I still don't believe it. I, I trusted Google, right? I went to Google. How many of you trust Google, right? You're like, I want to know something is true. What do you do? Google. You Google it, right? That's a phrase we use. Google it, right? That's something... So how do we even trust, like, Google has proven to be... Trustworthy, well, I suppose. Google doesn't actually even contain the information. Right. I mean, they just S disseminate they just it. They just kind of it. vouch for it. They're like, here it is. Yeah. This is yeah. what you asked for. You, but this is good to think about in, in our ask. context and in our world, right? We get yeah. information from Facebook or Twitter or right. And um, and what I came to as I was kind of going into the depths of my own, what do I believe? Realizing that I often believe whatever confirms my existing belief, right? So if someone tells me something, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that's true, right? It's called Which confirmation bias. Confirmation right? bias, echo chambers that yes. we exist in, right? Um, and now... I love it. I love, yeah, oh, no, yeah. I'm in, yeah, I'm yeah. in. Yeah, I block you if For you're... Sure. Yeah, if you're not repeating back to me. Yeah, it yeah. makes me feel really smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let, and then, okay, let me go one layer deeper. There are things that I deeply hope for that I want to be true, that sometimes I'm not even paying attention to. They're the deepest, deepest parts of my hopes, mm. right? Those things that I long for so much, that things that I might not even tell anyone, things that I might not even say, mm. but there are things that are deep down inside that I hope for, that I want so badly to be true, that someone could potentially manipulate that, right? right. They could speak to that deep longing that I have. But it's, it's also something that when someone comes to me and they have, like it's, it's that phrase, too good to be true. 
right? It's that job that you applied for that you're just hoping, you, like, you don't want to, you don't want to, like, get to, I, I talk to so many of you that are looking for jobs, and you're like, I really hope this is it, but I don't want to jinx it, but I really hope, right? It's that tension between that longing, and you want to hear that affirm, affirmation and that answer, or it's that person that you've met that you're like, is this the person, you know, who you've been, it's that longing, and there's something deep inside of us, I think, that is longing for affirmation, for truth, and we want to hear it from someone who we can trust, yeah. right? There's a, there's a longing there. And so I just want us to begin as we go into this talk, as we enter into these couple verses in the book of Exodus, I want us to think about what hopes do we hold this morning? What are the things that are deepest parts of us that are just the longing, the hopes, the dreams? And then two more questions attached to that. Um, in that hope and in that dream, how um, connected to that, um, do, do you believe this morning, I want us to think about God's love for us and his attentiveness to us his concern for our lives. How, how deep is that? How intimate is that? How intricate, how detailed is his love for us? And um, if you doubt that kind of love from God or that kind of attentiveness, um, what would it take for you to believe it? Hmm. Those are some questions that I have this morning. Yeah. Want to go into the text? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's just a powerful idea, I think, because um, as you get... I think as you age, as you get older, um, hope gets harder. Yes. Right? Yeah, because because it, you've been disappointed. It, yeah, right. Us. And it, it can grow dormant. And some would say even die uh, mm -hmm. in us. And um, that, that's one of the things that I um, uh, it drew me to Portland when we were thinking about where to uh, lead a church because of the a lot of the folks that I, I met here were kind of that young adult stage that 20-something moving into 30-something, and that seems to be that stage where um, hope, it, the last of that light of like anything can happen starts to, like it's still there, but you've had enough pain, enough suffering, you've started to see how the world works, and, um, and, and I, I think that um, a community that centers around Christ and has that light uh, that can, can take root in our lives um, can bring that back to life. Yeah. And, um, but, I mean, we're not to that part of the sermon. No. So, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hold Sorry. off on that, Sorry, Joy. that was just such, yeah, yeah. A, <laughs> such a good intro. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's just profound to think about. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, as Sonny said, we're moving through the book of Exodus. And so today we're just looking at, um, like, like she said, some of these verses are kind of like uh, transitions to the next big story. But um, there's pieces of uh, ideas that are, are captured in these that we didn't want to just let slip by. And so we're really just going to look at a few verses, the last few verses of chapter 4, uh, verses 27 uh, through 31. Um, and and uh, they say this, God spoke to Aaron, go and meet Moses in the wilderness. He went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron the message that God had sent him to speak and the wonders he had commanded him to do. So Moses and Aaron proceeded to round up all the leaders of Israel. Aaron told them everything that God had told Moses and demonstrated the wonders before the people. And the people trusted and listened believingly that God was concerned with what was going on with the Israelites and knew all about their affliction. So they bowed low and they worshiped. See, I'm reading this, and coming from uh, 
the environment that you describe and that, that we live in and many of us are familiar with, and I think by nature I am a skeptic. I mm -hmm. think that is um, how I've described mm -hmm. myself often. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's a strange thing to be kind of naturally wired that way and be a person of faith. Mm -hmm. And I've often joked that like uh, I've considered being an atheist quite often, but every time I do that, I end up talking to Jesus about it. And just kind of like, <laughs> okay, this isn't going anywhere. But that's kind of the struggle that I walk in and, and end up living in. And so I, I read this and I go, why did, these, uh, why did these people believe? Right, two guys come walking up. Right. Hey, I am has told me yeah. that this is, yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, the first idea is the message spoke to their suffering. Yeah. And it spoke to their condition, the condition they had been in for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I was telling Paul, I can't even imagine. So how many years? 400 years is what 400 the text, years, over 400 years. Over 400 years yeah. in slavery, right? This is the context that they had now, the, the, the ones that are receiving this message. This is the context they've grown up in. It's all they've ever known. Right. right? Is this oppression of yeah. being um, second, if not lower, class citizen, right. you know, participants in this society, right? And this message comes from two, these two men. They carry this message. Um, and what I think is that, it goes to what I was saying before, the message spoke to their deepest need and hope, mm. didn't it? Someone came and said, God, this God of our stories that you've heard about, this God in your history sees you. Mm. This God hears you yeah, yeah. he knows what's going on he's taken interest in your case he's heard your cries and not only that we've been sent he's actually working out deliverance right now mm. like would now now I, I just in my own i'm like i wonder how long it would take me to believe that yeah. right because it's such a deep longing if you're even aware of that longing i mean i don't even know if sometimes i think about my own distance from god moving or giving me a message like that and i've become kind of numb maybe skeptical doubtful that something's so good like we're yeah. going to be set free right. what yeah 400 years this is the way you've lived your whole life yeah yeah well it's it's what you were pointing at i was thinking about like you let that hope go dormant Mm -hmm. and, and something has to wake it up, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and so there's something in the message, mm -hmm. I think, for sure. Yeah. And then there's something in the messenger, right? Mm -hmm. And God gave them this uh, supernatural display of things in order to yeah. show them. So they like, had signs I and wonders. Yeah, yeah. Right. They, had, they had some stuff to right. show Right, so they had supernatural signs, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, the, I, I like this article I was reading in the, the Dictionary of Biblical Theology, as I do. I don't know, you guys. Yeah. You know, your just, coffee and your dictionary of biblical theology. I don't know if you guys yeah. get down with that. Would you take yours out right now? We're going to turn to page. You turn to page 643 <laughs> in your dictionary of biblical theology. The, uh, I'm just going to read this quote. The miracles or plagues affected uh, through Moses are called signs. In the Septuagint, the phrase signs and wonders is generally associated with Moses leading God's people to freedom. In incidentally, that is the phrase that gets used throughout Acts as well, it, mm -hmm. that they believe is pointing back to that uh, Septuagintal um, phrasing, which if you're not familiar with that, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that was done uh, in between 300 B.C. and finalized in, I don't know, somewhere in the 300 to the one, like the beginning of the millennium. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, uh, so 
this, this phrase, signs and wonders, is generally associated with Moses leading God's people to freedom. His miracles authenticate him as uh, God's representative and demonstrate the divine origin of what he says. And so, um, not just signs, though, right? Look, this is something I think Wait, that is important It wasn't just magic. It wasn't just to demonstrate power. Right. Like, right. see, I can do something cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But those signs had significance. They did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, I lean on an, um, another, on the Old Testament background commentary to remind us of this. We talked about this uh, a few weeks ago when we first encountered this. But um, it, it says the three signs that the Lord gave to Moses each most likely had symbolic significance. Uh, the rod was the symbol of authority in Egypt, right? So he took his, his staff or his rod, remember, and he threw it down. He turned into a snake, and then he picked it up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the rod was the symbol of authority in Egypt. And Pharaoh was represented by the serpent figure featured prominently on his crown. So the first sign then suggests that Pharaoh and his authority are completely in the power of God. The second sign inflicts a skin disease, often translated leprosy, on Moses' hand. When inflicted in the Bible, it is consistently a punishment for hubris, or being so arrogant that, well, we know that Pharaoh saw himself as divine. He saw himself as God. Mm -hmm. And so this is seen as a, a symbol of punishment for that. So when an individual in pride presumptuously assumes a divine a divinely appointed role, thus demonstrating God's intention to punish Pharaoh. And the third uh, symbol, uh, turning water to blood, shows God's control of the prosperity of Egypt, which was entirely dependent on the waters of the Nile. It also anticipates the plagues that God will send. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so these signs directly affirmed the message, right? These signs weren't just an arbitrary example of power like magic. But these signs were symbolic and directly tied to the message that God saw, God heard, God was coming, and there was nothing that Pharaoh or Egypt could do to prevent mm. his, um, him doing what, setting them free. Right, right. right. So yeah. in a similar fashion, though, um, you know, the message of Jesus was validated by miracles, which signified the arrival of the Messianic age or the coming of the kingdom of God. Right? And so we, when we, I think we, the last gospel we preached through was John. Mm -hmm. Is that right? I, I believe we talked about this. We talked about um, uh, like the miracle of turning the water to wine, that this was a symbol of messianic abundance. Mm -hmm. uh, and many of his miracles were that. It was the symbol of when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, there will be not only plenty, but there will be celebration. So there's an abundance of good wine. There's an abundance of food. So much food when, when he blesses the food that they take up 12 baskets after he feeds the 5,000, right? Um, there's a symbol of the, um, the, the powers that oppress being cast out, right? In the uh, miracle of, of casting out the, the demon legion into the, the pigs and they run off the cliff, right? There's all these symbols of, of the kingdom of God coming and, and casting out darkness, casting out oppression, uh, casting out poverty even, mm -hmm. if you think about uh, food and mm -hmm. wine and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so we see this in Jesus. And of course, uh, there were those who witnessed the signs and still didn't believe Jesus. Yeah, so when it comes to would you believe, like what would it take yeah. for you to believe yeah. if you saw that stuff? 
Like, because sometimes I will look back and critique people sure. and scripture and be like, well, yeah. it seems obvious that Jesus right. is the Messiah. Like if I saw that. Right? Yeah. Totally. Like, yeah, yeah I'm in. Yeah. And I believe that. I don't know, would I? I don't know. Yeah, it just, yeah. Right. These are, because yeah. there were those that did not, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, John 12, mm-hmm. 37 through 43 uh, gives a, kind of an instance. He says, although Jesus had performed so many miraculous signs before them, they still refused to believe in him so that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, would be fulfilled. He said, Lord, who has, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Oh, man, that's good. For this reason, they could not believe because, uh, again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn to me and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about them. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess Jesus to be the Christ. So they would not, um, be, put out, so they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved Praise from men more than praise from God. Yeah, so the first example that I thought, I thought of of disbelief was the rich young ruler. Do you remember this story? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he's, you know, mm-hmm. what must I do to be saved? Right. He's like, I've done all the things the commandments have told well, me to do. he says what I, what I need to do to, to, to have be eternal perfect, life. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think is what he asked. Or anyway, that phrase is in there. All, eternal life is mm-hmm. too. Sorry. I'm killing the flow. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, rich young ruler <laughs> comes, and Jesus says to him, okay, you have to give up all of your possessions and give them up to the poor, right? And so here's, here's what, comes to, here's what is, begins to strike me as we're going through this text. People like the rich young ruler who had wealth, position, power, they couldn't receive the message given, mm-hmm. right? They couldn't accept it because they had already had, they had uh, the provision was already for them. Right? So the message given to him was actually, if you want salvation, if you want eternal life, you have to divest. You have to decrease. Mm. Right? When one has privilege, the message from Jesus is challenging in that it challenges a divestment. Right? right. But the signs and wonders and the miracles of Jesus healing in abundant... Okay, so, so, but the signs... Sorry, I'm getting excited because this is my favorite part of the talk. All right. (laughs) All right. So the rich young ruler, like there are people that don't believe, and I think it's tied directly to the need and the recognition, acknowledgement of the need that we have. Whether it is physical or whether it is spiritual, there's this acknowledgement, right, which the rich young ruler did not have. And the signs and the wonders, so the signs and the wonders that to me, when I, I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal kind of background, so signs and wonders, the, 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 those sorts of things were part of what I learned to expect right? In, in the life of a believer. Now, um, what has been solidified for me in this talk and in this study is that the signs and the wonders, the miracles of Jesus' healing and abundant provision are directly attached mm. to the message of the kingdom of God. Yeah. It is the message of God and his hand. Yeah, it is yeah, both yeah. of those things, right? Um, and they weren't simply to demonstrate power. The signs accompanied the good news. Everyone is fed because no one's hungry in the kingdom of God. Yeah. People are healed because no one is sick in the kingdom of God. People are set free. Um, yeah. the, the Egypt is not going to prevail in this situation because God is opposed to oppression and slavery. Right. And it cannot stand when, yeah. he, when he is in control, right? 
the powerless, the people who were incapable of meeting their own physical needs, the ones who are incapable of meeting whatever needs they have, they don't have the power to do that. They are the ones who respond to this message from Jesus, mm. right? It spoke to something deep inside them, a hope, a longing. It spoke to stories and beliefs about God and their ancestors. Right. And here we have Jesus talking about being rescued from oppression, poverty, pain, meeting needs here and now, spreading the good news of the kingdom that has come. Mm. And it's, it's powerful yeah. because it is, it is a history. It's something we've learned. It's something we've heard. Right. And now it's happening mm. right here and now. Mm. It is the message, and it's a demonstration of that message being true right. all at the same time. Right. Yeah. And Paul and I were talking about there's a we have a favorite <laughs> X file so we were X files junkies yes. okay back when there were VCR no no we didn't we yeah, looked yeah, up yeah. to yeah VCR we were collecting the VCR yeah, tapes yeah. and then we moved to DVD all nine seasons yeah, yeah that was us we went yeah, to the yeah. movies in the theater that's uh -huh. what we did and we will revisit yes we will oh, for sure okay but one of my favorites one of my favorites is there's this moment at the end of this epic episode where Scully says something to the effect of well she's always struggling with faith, faith and, and science, science right yeah. that's that's her character. And she's like, maybe God is always, this to the effect of maybe God is always speaking, but we're not listening, right? Yeah. And this yeah. idea that, right, the message has gone out. And, and I want, yeah, anyway, the message has gone out. And uh, yeah, how, which is another great question of how we hear. Right. And how do, how are we receptive? And yeah, those are great yeah, so dialogues too. And anytime we talk about these kind of like moments where the kingdom of God rushes in or breaks in uh, in history with just such uh, just it's just it's dynamic right and and if you look through church history you do see these these moments throughout time you see them in the bible and then you see them uh in church history uh call them revivals oftentimes especially in in uh modern modern times um and but then i it always makes me wonder about all the generations you know that believed and passed on the message without that supernatural validation Right, all of those, uh, I, I read and I, I couldn't find it. I was trying to find it yesterday or a couple days ago when I was prepping for this. One of my books I read in seminary, I remember um, the author estimated that for all of the supernatural events that were listed in scripture, if you um, listed them out, even just over the period of time that it took to write the Bible, that it would only be one event occurring every 30 years. You know, and you, you th we read it and we think of it as like, oh, there's all of it. And, but, um, and there were, but there were seasons where like a bunch of stuff happened. So it's even more than 30 years mm -hmm. in sometimes between mm -hmm. these events that we hear about or know about. And so mm -hmm. I, I'm always fascinated with that. And maybe it's because, you know, I too grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic uh, background, taught to expect the supernatural. And 
but have never seen uh, like this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I don't have a, I don't have a stick that I'm gonna prove my sermon is right with <laughs> this Watch morning. Watch this mic drop. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, and 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 I believe that God can do whatever God wants to do. I have complete faith in that. But um, and I've had things where I I feel like they were supernatural. I, you know, I was prayed for and felt like I I was healed of allergies when mm -hmm. I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but yeah, it's that kind of thing where, well, was I or was there just a shift in my chemicals as I was growing up, right? You know, the skeptic in me does that, but I choose to go, hey, however it happened, you know, God gave me relief, mm -hmm. right? But anyway, I, I, maybe because of that, I'm always fascinated with those who carry the message without seeing those things, you know, what, um, what caused them to ha have so much faith? And so as I was um, reading um, on kind of during prep, I got back to one of my old books called uh, Contours of Old Testament Theology, probably another uh, <laughs> one that you have on your nightstand. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 And I found this section that I just thought was uh, really inspiring because it wrestled with this idea um, of, of the spectacular nature of some of the stories in scripture, right? And he says, in summary, as he's summing up this chapter, the Old Testament bears witness to God's presence in the world, particularly in an I-thou relationship with the people of Israel. Right? So he's saying God's presence shows up in this relationship uh, with Israel. Um, to portray God's presence, the language of poetic imagination is used. You know, so you read that and you're like, oh, so maybe the supernatural parts are just a product of great imagination, right? They didn't have Netflix, <laughs> right, right? right? No Hulu. <laughs> so, you know, maybe they just told really good stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe the presence of God they experienced was all in their head, right? This is, this is where the skeptic goes. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sorry if it disturbs you that the pastor thinks these things. But I go through this whole yeah, yeah. line of thought thinking mm -hmm. like, well, you know, what about this? And, and, and then I should read the rest of his statement mm -hmm. because he goes on. He says, God's revelation, however, does not belong to an imaginary world, but occurs in a real world of suffering and joy, of hardship and hope. It belongs to the historical world in which ancient Israel lived and in a profound sense, the world of violence, oppression and tragedy in which we live. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So what about us here today? You know, how, what makes us believe? Mm -hmm. You know, what is that? Um, I think what it is, even though we don't have, uh, you know, I don't have the snake stick or... Um, leprosy. I don't have leprosy. Um, <laughs> right? We, we have this message, right? We have this message that testifies to God's presence revealing his saving work throughout history. Right? And so just like the Israelites, we receive a message of liberation and of salvation. And some of us may experience the supernatural, and if you do, you should testify to that because that's what grows faith in a community of people, right? But it's important to remember that the liberation for the Israelites, it wasn't tied um, it, or it wasn't in the signs, but it was in the believing and the following. Right? That's where the liberation uh, came and where they were set free. Mm -hmm. I loved that passage that you were reading from that nerdy book. 
Um, and what I really appreciate is that, well, because we have a message today, and we testify to God liberating and saving. We still have that message, and we have that message. This is what the story of Exodus is about. We have stories. We could go around the room and talk about and have stories of God acting and moving in our lives. And it is tied to the real world, a real world of suffering and joy, hardship and hope. It's tied to the world of violence, oppression, and tragedy that we still exist in, but we can be out of touch with due to our own power and privilege. And I think that's where that even that rich young ruler and then the people that were ready to accept, there is something about power and privilege that I think disrupts our ability to experience the signs and wonders and mm. the mess because the message is tied to the signs and wonders yeah. the message of liberation if we are if if i'm if i'm just if i'm not in an if we are not in the action and the activity of liberation then why have a sign and a wonder right. just to show power oh look i'm connected to god bow pow you know yeah, right. but it's tied to like the, the, well, I mean, I, I'm just, this is just the Pentecostal in me speaking right now of my deep hope, Go. right? I'll get my hanky. That if, if we would, if we as believers would be near, as near and as close as we are to oppression, that God would do miraculous mm. and amazing things to set people free because that's the work he's about doing. Yeah. And if I'm like, I don't see signs, I don't see wonders, I don't see God doing stuff, maybe it's because I'm too far away mm. from the place where God is and where yeah. he wants to move and where he wants to do those right. sorts of things. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Right. Yes, exactly. That is exactly. Yeah. Yes. Sometimes we are the oppressor. Yeah. Yes. It's like sometimes we need to flip sides. Right. 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 Well, this is one of the things the American church has really struggled with, yeah. right, and continues to struggle with, yes. is acknowledging that right there. Because some of the Egyptians, when it says they left Egypt, yeah, some went. Yeah. Some went with yeah. the Hebrews. Yes. Yeah. Which yes. is crazy. To me. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, and I, I, so I would suggest that signs and wonders of the kingdom are present and they accompany liberators. Hmm. And what is at the heart of all of this and what we are to witness to is the message that God hears, that God sees, he knows what is going on and he rescues us hmm. from those things that we can't rescue ourselves from. And is that not the good news that we want to share with every anxious, lonely, hurting, wounded hmm skeptical, cynical, doubting Portlander yes. neighbor that we know? Yes. Is that not the good news that should be accompanied with physical resources for the hungry, for the displaced? Because it's not, right? It is both and. It is his message, it's his hand. It's his yeah. word, and it is his hand. Yeah. And, and that's who we are 
to be in this world, right? Um, for those keenly aware of their oppression, the message of the gospel of a new kingdom is liberation of, from pain, from suffering, from poverty. For those who are in power or have no apparent need for savior, it's a message of humility. It's an invitation to divest and decrease, and both of those messages are salvation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that's why, kind of, as we came to the end of this talk, it drew me to just a classic expression of the gospel mm-hmm. um, in John three sixteen. You're all familiar with it, right? For this is the way God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And that's all it takes, right? Because, like you're saying, I, I, that's kind of like the entry point to this massive concept of what the gospel is, both spiritual and physical, mm-hmm. right? That I mean, that, that's a big part of You could get into the philosophy of how we think as Westerners that that's part of the reason we don't understand this a lot of the time because of our, uh, they call it dualism, right? Spiritual matter. We split those things apart, and we don't see them as connected. But in reality, they are connected. The spiritual affects the physical and vice versa. And so when Jesus came to save, he came to save the whole person. And even, even Romans, when Paul is talking about this, he's talking about really the, the redemption and the salvation of all of creation from the effects of sin. Right? You can wrap up all of this stuff, all of the brokenness of humanity, and call it sin if we wouldn't offend uh, someone. You know, we don't... We, use that word sparingly yes. right but that's all it takes though to begin a life that is liberated or that is saved or that is uh, given eternal life and, and and i emphasize begin right because it is a beginning that that moment of belief in jesus mm-hmm. right and it's not the spectacular that will save you right it's not that's not the thing that's going to save you at best it points you towards salvation in Jesus. And at worst, the spectacular is an imitation or a distraction. Mm-hmm. Right? We have testimony of that even in these stories that we're reading through Exodus. Later on, there are going to be people who can replicate some of what uh, Moses did, some of the signs. Mm-hmm. They, they actually replicate it, and are, it's a false sign. So it's, it's not just in the sign. At worst, it can it just be a distraction or, or an imitation. Um, yeah. oh, this is me. So we, put, we try to put like a P or an S by the note so we know who's supposed to, you know, who's saying what. So I'm like, don't take my stuff. Okay. <laughs> so questions I've been, as we come to an end here, questions I've asked considering this text and this talk today. What will demonstrate that God hears and is actively working to liberate today? What is the deepest human need, and how does Jesus speak to that? How can I participate in that liberating work? Where is it in my own life that I need Jesus? In what ways must I decrease and divest? My prayer for us is, this, let there be signs and wonders of healing and provision in our communities today that correspond with the message that God is with us, that he sees us and he wants to liberate us. Because God sees the unhoused. God is with the immigrant and the refugee. God is for the single parent who's trying to pay rent and put food on the table at the same time. God is with the hungry, with the lonely, with the marginalized. 
And God is actively working on their behalf. How can I participate in that work? How am I alongside God in that work? And for those of us with plenty, my prayer is that we would have the willingness and the courage to divest and to make space for others. May we pray, and may we pray like the man in Mark 9, I believe, God, now help me with my unbelief. Yeah. Yeah. Can I pray for us? God, we are just grateful this morning for your words, for your message, and for your arm, for your words of hope and life and your activity in us and through us that sets us free and liberates. And I just pray, God, this morning that your word would um, just continue to do the work that only you can do in us.